Right now, we're finishing up this year, this life in the kingdom of God. This month, we're, we're going to focus, of course, in this Christmas season on the prince of the kingdom of God. This, this one who is Messiah. He is, he is the anointed one. He is Emmanuel. This is uh, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. And that happened. And bear a son. And he was and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's who he is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who was promised on the day that humanity fell, that he would crush the head of the serpent. It says in Galatians, I'm sorry, Genesis 3.15, he, speaking of Jesus, shall crush your, speaking of that, of that ancient serpent, your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Christ has come. And now that he has come, everything is different. And it's hard for us at least for me, it's hard for me to understand how different, how different the world is because Christ has come. Because even though I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't, you know, Christianity wasn't my thing until 1988. But what I didn't realize is that Christianity was a view that really influenced my life. And, and one of the things that I think you'll find interesting if you think about it a little bit is that Christianity really has influenced not only our city and state and nation, but, but almost all uh, nations that have been, have been in some way influenced by Christ. There's words, there are thoughts, there are concepts that they have that before Christ came didn't make sense. I read a book on Christian ethics last month and the first chapter of the book was entitled The Night Before Christmas. And what he did in that chapter was he did a survey of human history on how dark the world was before the coming of Jesus Christ. See, before Christ came into the world, there was no such thing as equality or justice or freedom. The only people that had that are those who could afford it or enforce it. It was a matter of power. It wasn't until Jesus Christ came into the world that he proclaimed, we're all equal. Every human being on this planet is equal in the, in the eyes of God because we're all sinners who need to be saved. There, there's not only this equality, there, there is a justice that is deserved because we've been made in the image of God and every single human being has dignity. Every single person has the right to justice because of who they've been made in the image of. So there's equality, there's justice, and there's freedom. Freedom is not in this, this right as in the world as we come to understand it. What Christ has brought to us through his death and resurrection is freedom that enables us to even consider the concept as viable. It's because of the coming of Christ, the world has been changed. The light has come. John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now that Jesus has come, there is light, there is life, there is hope. There is life in the kingdom of God. And what we're doing this month is we're studying who is this prince of the kingdom of God. And to understand who he is, we're studying Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's now go to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Madison's going to read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word as Madison comes. Again, this is a powerful prophecy that speaks to the reality of who Jesus is and, and what he came to do and did do. And again, 700 years before his birth, here's what was said of him. Madison, read that for us. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there, sh there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Well done, Madison. If you would, go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. One of the best things that our church family has ever done is to uh, produce and, and, and make possible the counseling center here uh, associated with our church. It's now independent. Uh, our tithes and offerings got it going. Uh, we still give a special offering that provides free counseling. And the reason why it's free is because churches like ours give a sacrificial gift above our tithes and offerings to, to make this a resource, not only for our membership, not only for other churches, but for all of the city. And they come and they, re they receive something wonderful. It's called biblical counseling. What's the difference between biblical counseling and therapy? Let me give you, this is the definition that's on the website of the uh, counseling centers. Biblical counseling is the process through which the Bible, God's word, is applied individually to a person or persons who are struggling under the weight of personal sin and or suffering due to life circumstances. The end result of biblical counseling is that the individual will begin to experience God every day and live out a God-honoring life. In essence, what biblical counseling does is it tells us what the wonderful counselor says. Biblical counseling basically tells us what Jesus has to say to us about life and how we are to live it. And Jesus is, as our text proclaims, the wonderful counselor. This word wonderful is a striking word. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's the Hebrew word pella. It refers either to a miracle enacted by God or a miracle worker, or more generally to describe something as wonderful. It refers to marvelous or wonderful things and occurs chiefly in a poetic context, praising God for showing himself, look at this, in surprising, incomprehensible ways. Isn't that something? So the, what makes something wonderful is that it's difficult to understand. It's, un, it's unexpected. We weren't looking for it. And so when it, when it happened, it was, Wow. When something is wonderful, it's striking. It's something we didn't anticipate. In 2019, we had a, a mission team go to China uh, and worked with our partners there. Uh, it was actually a college uh, group that went. So it's funny this morning that we commissioned Pastor Hunter and college students to go to Africa. 2019, they were in China, Hunan province and uh, they met a guy and his name his his, uh, his English name it's funny a, a lot of Chinese students that can speak English they have their Chinese name but they have an English name his English name was Peter and they explained the gospel to him and they spent a couple of days exposing him to truth and 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 how Christ changed lives and he pushed it away and said you know that's not something I, 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 I can believe well this week Pastor Hunter got an email from Peter and he thanked Pastor Hunter for coming all the way to China to tell him about Jesus 
because he has repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? It made us laugh because it said in the, because uh, he's talking about his Christian faith and that sort of thing. He said, uh, uh, what, what, what's, your, what's your favorite scroll, bro? And so he's talking about the books of the Bible. So he loves the scroll Romans, yo, right? And, and he was describing his life there and he asked for prayer because he has two pastors and, and one has been arrested for proclaiming the gospel there in China. Friends, we got to pray for our brothers and sisters there. But what a wonderful thing this week to hear that the seeds of the gospel that were spread three years ago have taken root in the heart of a young man who now trusts in Jesus Christ. That is wonderful. It's un un unexpected. It's surprising. And that's what wonderful is. It's, it's wonderful news. It's something true that, that is, is not expected. It's surprising. And Jesus, he is the wonderful counselor. And, and our text today helps us understand why that is, because of who he is and, and what he's done. So there's four things. Let's start, first of all, with, with who he is. Uh, take note, if you would. Remember this. The wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, is truth. Is truth. He, he doesn't just give truth. He is truth. Jesus is truth manifested. All that Jesus said and did was pure truth, not contaminated with sin or lies in any way. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and this truth was and, and still is today surprisingly unexpected. It gives wisdom that goes contrary to the world. And, and there are many today who reject this truth, this wonderful counselor, on the same grounds that, that he was rejected almost two millennia ago. Uh, writing to the church at Corinth, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.22, for Jews demand signs, for Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now put in parentheses, it is surprisingly unexpected. It's not what the Jews were looking for. It's not what the Gentiles were expecting. This, this concept of this, this wonderful <laughs> grace given through a crucified Christ. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, the, the Jews and the Greeks in, in the day of, of Paul, they rejected Jesus uh, be, because of a couple of reasons. One, because they wanted signs. They wanted things to come out, to turn out the way they wanted them to be. And this is a mistake that many, many people make. Then this is one of the reasons why some of you here today have rejected Jesus Christ. The reason why you're not walking faithfully with, with God is, is because you, like the Jews, you've rejected uh, because you demand worldly signs. And, and what I mean by that is you've decided you already know what's best. You just need God to get with the program. See, a lot of you have rejected Jesus Christ because you've come to his word. You've come to prayer. You've even come to gather with his people already Already knowing in your own mind the way it ought to be, you just need God to get with your program. And when he doesn't, you disbelieve. You reject him because, <laughs> like, like I once was and sometimes still struggle with the belief that somehow I'm smarter than God. Friends, God knows what is best. 
And the Jews, they rejected because they wanted these worldly things. And many uh, today, they reject the truth because it does not make them aesthetically happy. It doesn't make them aesthetically happy. Please understand, the truth may make you happy, but it will always bring meaning and significance to our lives. Friends, as parents, grandparents, let's do something for our children. Let's stop asking them if they enjoyed or if they liked church. Friends, going to church is like going to the doctor. We find out what, what ails us and what helps us. You know, I don't take my kids to the doctor and say, wasn't that fun? We'll do that again. Let's do it. Let's maybe get a bigger shot next time. It'll be great. No, Did it, is, this is helpful. This is significant. This is meaningful for your life. What we need to do in the conversation with our kids, when, when anytime they, they leave a worship gathering or any kind of program, we need to say, do you understand why what was prayed, what was said, and, why, and what was sung is significant and meaningful, why it's true? We don't need to ask them if it's making them aesthetically happy or if it's materialistically making them rich. The truth is meant to make us rich in spirit, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. It's not with every earthly blessing, with every spiritual blessing. The truth gives us everything we need to thrive in every circumstance. But many reject because they, it won't make them aesthetically happy, materialistically rich or Here's a good personally powerful. See, the, the, the truth is meant to lead us to experience the power of God, not our own power, because our own power is, is finite. Right? You know, dealing with God and, and struggling with, with a thorn, a, a pain in his life, the Apostle Paul was praying and wrestling with God. And, and here's what he said. Here's what he discovered. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he, that is, the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Weakness is so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Do you realize how nonsensical that is to the world? You mean I'm supposed to be happy about hard, painful stuff? Calamities, pain, difficulties, trials? Why? Look at that last sentence. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, what the truth reveals is God's power in our weakness, but a lot of people don't want that. They want to be aesthetically happy. They want personal power. They want materialistic uh, riches. They, they also want worldly uh, popularity. They want, they want to be worldly popular. <laughs> but friends, listen, the, the truth is meant to make us known in heaven, not on earth. Remember when, when uh, Jesus sent out a, a bunch of folks on a mission trip and they came back and they're like, Jesus, we cast out demons. We healed people. You wouldn't believe what we did. Jesus said this, this is Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The truth makes us known in heaven it's not about worldliness. It's, it's about godliness. But, but the Jews, they, they wanted these signs because they think, and it's like some here and like some of you that are rejecting because you think you've got life figured out and you're rejecting God because he didn't give you the life that you've already determined that you, that you want and need. And, and then also because they, they want it to be worldly wise. In, in essence, what they want is how to succeed in blank. 
Some, some folks will say, man, I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to church for that stuff. I, I don't need to study the Bible. I, need, I just need a how to be successful. You fill in the blank. And if I do that, then I'm going to have life all figured out. Now, again, the, the Bible is certainly filled with truth that is wisdom and, and the right ways to, lead, to live. But the truth primarily reveals how people live a blessed life. And it is so surprising it is so unexpected. God wants us to have, and the truth reveals what is blessed. And it is nothing like what the world has to offer. Remember what we studied this summer? Remember what Jesus said in, in, in Matthew uh, chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will, shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. To read that to the world and say, hey, want to come to my church? I mean, most people in the world are like, no, no. Why? Because they think they've got life figured out. They already know what they need. They need signs and, and they need wisdom for their how-to to get what they want out of the world. And what they miss and what we can miss is what is blessed. What is blessed Powerful picture in Psalm 1. You need to have this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sit in the seats of, of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and all in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree. And that's a beautiful image here. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, the truth has come so that we can know what is blessed, so we can avoid the way of the wicked, so we can know what is true. The wonderful counselor, secondly, gives help. The counselor gives help. The, one of the main reasons anyone goes to a counselor is to get help. And we all need help. Every person on the planet needs help because we all have blind spots, things that we don't see in ourselves that need to change, strongholds, things that hold us back from being what God desires us to be, burdens, things that we put on ourselves that we're not meant to carry. Christ has come to the world to help us and through his word and by his spirit in church, Jesus helps us see the sin that we need to repent of, to overcome the strongholds that keep us from life by, by taking our burdens and giving us what we were made for. And all the while, please understand, Jesus gets you. Jesus sympathizes with you. He knows you better than you know you. He made you. He put you right where he wants you. He gets it. And he sympathizes with your challenges. This is Hebrews chapter four, beginning in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have 
a savior who understands what it is to have friends turn against him. We have a savior who knows what it is to have family turn against him. We have a savior who knows what it is to have the world despise him for his love. We, we have a savior who, who knows what it is to face the ultimate temptations that the evil one can bring and overcome them. We have a mighty savior who is mighty to save, who is willing to give us help. But we must ask. You know, I, I've got great men in my life. I am so blessed. The men I get to serve the Lord with, the friends that I count on, they know me so well and, and they know my weaknesses. And, and so often, it's, it's, it's funny, so often they'll, they'll hear about me, you know, doing something. You know, they'll hear, you know, oh no, he's, he's trying to change a ceiling fan. Who's going to go over and help? Who's going who's gonna to hide his tools, right? Who's going to, okay, I got his ladder. Somebody else go get, you know, they know. And so a lot of times, I, I, you know, I'm hesitant to say, hey guys, will you help me? Because we think, I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to Can I tell, tell you, I, I may be a bother to my friends and they can give testimony. I'm sure they would affirm that. But you know who I'm never a bother to? My king. The prince of the kingdom of God. We're never a bother. As a matter of fact, the reason he came was for us to be our go-between. This is 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He came to help us, to save us, to guide us, to bless us. And, and he helps us. He helps us in so many ways as we ask for help by availing ourselves to his word, his spirit, and to his church. And let me tell you something else he does. This is the third thing. And this is very helpful to me. The, the, the wonderful counselor empowers obedience. He empowers it. You know, it's, it's one thing to get counsel. If you've never gotten counseling, I, I, if you're struggling and you're troubled, our biblical counseling center is so very helpful. And the times I've talked with leaders there, it's so, it's so amazing. I was talking to one of the counselors before the service. They were talking about how, you know, there's so much that, that the word says, but there's only so much that people are willing to do. There's one thing to know what you're supposed to do. And there's another thing to be willing to do it. You know, there, there are so many who look at our wonderful counselor. They look at Jesus. They look at God. And, and all they hear him saying is, stop it. That's all he hears, this negative response. Uh, Bob Newhart, some of you are old enough to know him. If, if, you don't, if you don't know who he is, just be thankful that you're young. There's a sketch where he's, he's, a, he's, he's giving counsel. And this lady has come in and she's got all this, this laundry list of problems. And, and I'm afraid sometimes, I know when I was thinking about counseling, and honestly, early on when I was thinking about God, this is how I pictured God dealing with me. Let's watch this together. All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! 
Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's honestly how, really, I picture God for, stop it. Pettis, stop it. Whatever you're doing, stop it. But I was thinking about, stop it. You're just messing up, stop it. And, and don't get me wrong, the, the, the Lord is gracious to tell us to stop it. But you know what he also does? He also tells us to go for it. He, he, he says, stop sin, go for blessing. Stop for the silly, go for the significance. And, and he, he's helped us to do this. He's, he's shown us the way. The way is to sacrifice. This is Hebrews 5.8. Although he, Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He gave up his life. He sacrificed so that others could be saved. And that is his great joy. For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the, the cross, scorning its shame. He's now seated at the right hand of God because he was willing to sacrifice. So he was willing to say, I'm going to give up what makes me comfortable to get what is blessed. You think about someone you know that's really good at what they do. Maybe an artist, an athlete. Um, maybe someone in, in, your, in, your, um, in your vocational work. Here's what I can assure you. I'm sure they're talented and probably smart. But if they're really great, along the way, they made sacrifices. They got up early. They stayed up late. They did what other people weren't willing to do. They were willing to sacrifice comfort for the greater good. That's what Jesus did. And this is what he's calling us to do. Give up what we think we know. Give up what we think is best. And instead pursue what God says, which is always blessed. And the other thing he does is he gives us the power to do it. He gives us the power. He empowers us to obey. Not only does he show us the way, but then he empowers us. John 14, 15, Jesus said, look, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know what he gives? He gives love in the spirit. Love. Friends, if you're struggling to obey God, you don't have a willpower problem. You have a love power problem. You know what love will do? It'll lead a woman to go through labor. Suffering to birth the child into a world. You know what love will do? It'll cause a friend to give up a kidney and have to go through extraordinary pain so that another one can live. It'll cause a father to run into a, a burning building for a child. Surprising, shocking, wonderful, but that's what love does. Love does what is hard because it's compelled to. This is, so please understand, if you're struggling in sin, understand you don't have a willpower problem, you have a love power problem. Biblical axiom, I've given this to you before. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. To love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If we don't obey Jesus, it's because we don't love Jesus. And if we don't love Jesus, it's because we don't truly know Jesus. Because to know him, to know him as he really is, is to love him. And to love him is to obey him. And what the wonderful counselor has done is he has empowered us to obey with love. Last thing, the wonderful counselor provides wisdom. 
the wonderful counselor is wise. Jesus Christ possesses the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, last word of, of 2, and then verse 3. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, wisdom, wisdom is more than just information. Wisdom is the ability to do what is best in any circumstance. Now, you need knowledge to do that, but you need more than knowledge. It's a a capacity to understand the moment. It's a capacity to act toward what is best in that moment. It is a way of life. Wisdom is a way of life. And that's what Christ offers to us. That's what the wonderful counselor provides for us, is this wisdom that is a way of life. Last Sunday, when Pastor Hunter was preaching, he, he quoted a text and there was something about that text that sparked a 20-plus-year-old memory of, of, of a Hebrew class that I had. And I, I started to nerd out on, uh, on, the, on the text. And so I, I, Psalm 119, here's the verse. Let me, just, let me just show it to you, okay? Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good and you do good. There's an acknowledgement that God, you're good. What you do is good. Teach me your statutes. Now, that word statues, that's what kicked me. That's what kind of punched me a minute. I was like, wait a second, wait a second. There's something about this I, I can remember. So I geeked out and I, and I went to, to my lexicons that I have on my iPad. And here's, here's what I found. And, and I put it this for you. Um, the word statue is the word coke. Now, if you say it loud, you spit on people. And so if you, if you, if you be careful, all right, to, when, you're, when you're using this word to impress your friends with your Hebrew usage, all right? Coke. Uh, Statues is coke and is more than just rules. It is a tradition, custom, or way of life. What the wonderful counselor offers is a way of life. Wisdom is a way of life. Christianity is more than a system of beliefs. It's more than a philosophy. It's more than an institution. The Christian life is a way of life that is wise. It is the way the, the wonderful counselor prescribes for us. Um, did something last week that, you know, I, I like to do. Some of you are going to check my numbers on this and you're going to get why, why I need to make some changes in my life. But I, I went for my annual physical, which I do dutifully every five years. <laughs> and I, I feel that's ample. And, and so while I was there, I was so appreciative of, of, of my, my doctor because, you know, he, he prescribes good things and he's realistic. I mean, you know, yeah, I need to lose 15 pounds. Yeah, I need to stop eating so many M&Ms. I don't know if that's going to happen. But it's prescribed. But what I love about him is that, is that he's not just trying to get a quick fix. He's not just trying. He talks to me about a way of life. What is your way of life? Is it a healthy way of life? And here's what's so amazing about God. He wants us to have this way of wisdom. It's a way of life. And and it's not complicated. If you want to live wisely, if you want to live the way of Jesus, Jesus knocked it out of the park in a real simple one-sentence thing. And if you can do this, I promise you, it will, it will absolutely change your life. This is, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the stuff you worry about, it'll be added to you, it'll be taken care of. This is wonderful if you can believe it. 
If you will put Jesus first, the kingdom of God first in everything in your life, you won't worry about the rest. Some of you this morning, you're worried about money. Your, your heart is stirred up. You're worried about so many things, got you anxious. Your, your brain runs all the time. Friends, I'm gonna tell you something. If you will live the way of Jesus and put him first, right now you're putting him first, good job. First day of the week, you put him first. The first thing you did this week is you came to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And my hope is that these songs and these truths are gonna now bless the rest of your week because you put him first. Set the tone. Some of you, you're worried about money and here's the reason why, because you're scattered on it. Here's what tithing does. Jesus commands us to give the first 10% of our income to God. And here's what happens when we do it. It sets the tone for how we spend all the rest. See, we're just stewards. And if we don't get that first 10% right, here's what happens with all of it. It gets out of alignment. That's why many of you are frustrated with your financial situation because you've not been responsible in the way of Christ to put him first. And then to choose a lifestyle that meets within the means that God has given you and the contentment that he provides. You know what I do every morning for my thought? So there's... There's first thing, just kind of your week, just kind of what's going on, your time, then your money. But then some of you, I, your thoughts can get away from it. Let me tell you what I do every single morning. First thing, as soon as I wake up, the first thing I do, I say in my heart a prayer. Good morning, Lord. You know what that does for me? First of all, good morning, Lord. It reminds me that I've been asleep, but he didn't. He was never asleep. Good morning, Lord. Reminds me that he's in charge, not me. Good morning, Lord. All I have to do is serve him all the rest of that day. Can I tell you what? Putting him first puts everything else in perspective. Gathering for worship puts everything in perspective. Putting him first financially puts everything in perspective. Putting him first in the first part of my day puts, him, it puts everything else in perspective. And it enables me to better live the way of life. Not keeping the rules the way of life. Friends, let me ask you, do you believe Jesus is the wonderful counselor? Do you really trust him? I mean, if you do, you say, well, how do I know if it, what's your anxiety level like? Where, where's your peace coming from? What is your time and your money and your thought like? What does it look like? Friends, when, when <laughs> the wonderful counselor is your savior and Lord, changes everything and there is a peace and joy that the world can never understand or obtain. But I pray today that you will, that you will repent of trusting in yourself and trusting Christ alone to forgive you of your sin and to give you a new life. And if you've done that already, that you will ask him for help, explaining to him that you've not been faithful, but from this moment forward, he's your wonderful counselor. Let's stand together, care leaders, come forward. Father, we thank you for what you provide in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We praise you for the provision of this wonderful counselor who gives all that is needed for a blessed life, a redeemed life, a life of significance and meaning. And Lord, I know there are many here today who are living anxious lives, angry lives, frustrated lives, lives that are out of control, that are being directed by disordered desires rather than seeking first your kingdom. And I pray today that, that those who need will repent and believe the gospel and be saved. 
pray that they'll come and talk to one of these leaders here at the front. And then others, Lord, who just need to ask for help. Even as we sing now, I pray that they will come and that they will ask for help. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.